Hello, it's me again. My name's Will, and if you're new here, I do all of the editing and post-production for all things iParanormal Chicks. Basically, I'm just making it sound good. And during these 31 nights of Halloween, I've been reading you a spooky story. This is part three. The story's called Upon the Hill, and it's about a guy who goes to a little village in Scotland, and he learns about a creepy hill. And he does some investigating, and that's it. Uh, before you listen to this part, go and listen to parts one and two if you haven't done already. Uh, I'll make sure they're linked in the episode notes. And I'll be back at the same time next week for part four, which is the final part. <gasps> and that means we're coming to the end of the 31 Nights of Halloween as well, which is very sad. Okay, enjoy. Part three. He awoke to the silence of the earth. Wisps of broken grass touched his cheek as the wind carried them away to an unknown destination. The sky was black while truly no living thing stirred. John did not know how long he had been unconscious, but the blanket of stars above him left him in no doubt that it had been for at least several hours. The sickness remained, though not as potent, but the wound in his side still wept blood. Rising to his feet, it became clear that his body was still under the effects of whatever was on that hill. In the intoxication of it, the world possessed a fluid, watery form. But on closing his eyes for a moment, he felt that he had somehow become accustomed to it, at least to the point where he could gain his bearing and find a route to escape. Luck was on his side as the moon was present above, albeit only as a partial, waning crescent. This provided him with enough illumination to gauge the strange world and its shapes which surrounded him. He was unsure if he had remained where he had fallen, as the ancient standing stones, which he remembered vividly and with no little sense of dread, were now nowhere to be seen. But as he stood there, with his hand vainly attempting to stem the blood from his side, a frightening realisation crept towards him. John found it difficult to convey to me in simple words what that was, but he described it as the rules of nature upturned. Nothing seemed to make sense. For a moment, he did not know who he was, why he was there, and what abominable source was causing such illness in him. He seemed to retain knowledge of the hill and memory of the church, but his thoughts were turbulent and disconnected. Fleeting moments of identity would quickly be suppressed and replaced by utter confusion. But regardless of the affliction, one constant remained. His instincts pleaded with him to leave that place immediately. But in this fragile state of mind, he could not tell which way would lead him down to the land below and which route would send him upwards, to whoever or whatever sat on the summit. The sensory intoxication was an experience like any other. The world unraveled. A smell of sickness tinged the air. Whether it was his own vomit or the illness playing tricks, he did not know. But within that stench, there was something else. A smell of dampness mixed with the unsettling scent of burnt hair. It became so strong that it began to sting John's eyes, which only furthered his disorientation. Though his eyes were clouded by tears and the world seemed wrong, he now sensed what he could only describe as a presence. The musty smell increased in potency, and as it did, John let out a cough. The response to the noise was distinct, and though he believed that it was impossible to know the mind of someone, something approached, and it did so with the malice and hatred as its companions. Terror now turned to fleeting purpose as he quietly wandered past shadowed trees and amongst the wild grass hoping to find his way out, 
Staggering as he fumbled his way through the darkness, the pain in his side grew, and thoughts of dying out there on the hill, never to be found by his loved ones, became apparent. For a moment, he thought that he would collapse once more, but while the sickness intensified, it was now accompanied by the sound of dead grass and wilted flora being thrust aside, as something trudged through the undergrowth nearby. John's vision was now so poor that he could not tell which way was forwards and which back. And in fleeting moments of clarity, he felt repulsed by the idea of ending up back at the church or the stones or graves, unsure of what they had been. He was utterly lost, and something which called that hideous hillside home now approached. Be still. But silence nor darkness could shield him. No realm of oblivion could provide obscurity, for a wickedness as old as the earth now stalked a man who once laughed in the face of superstition and myth. The air grew denser, and what little light the silver moon above provided diminished, as though it were being sucked deep into the ground with no escape. Then, nothing. The noise of branches and grass being broken and pushed aside ceased, and, in its place, a void of sound almost unbearable. At the end of his nerves, John could feel any remaining vestige of hope or escape abandon him. It was close. Its breath could be felt upon the air, foul, rancid, as of something which long ago lived and yet had not relinquished the desire to cause hurt and pain. Then, movement. Dead leaves cracked under its weight. The long grass which had seemed so impenetrable, so dominant, now torn and broken with each shuffling stride. The only thought in John's mind now was to hide. Slowly, his breath stuttered, and quietly gasping, he sank into the long grass, and there he lay, silent, terrified. The presence was closer still, and in the darkness he thought at times he could see the vague shape of a figure wandering just out of reach. It circled slowly, coming closer, and then retreating, as if searching the ground meticulously. Then, finally, the sound of its cumbersome footsteps grew distant and then ceased. John breathed a sigh of relief. Then a hand touched his face. Survival now took him, and with a yell of utter terror, he rolled onto his side. Searing pain ran through his body, and his own weight and motion thrust an uneven piece of ground deep into his wound. A low groan escaped from whatever monstrosity stood before him. And then, without knowing which way to proceed, John became motivated by a new impetus, jumping to his feet and bolting in a random direction, hoping beyond hope that it would lead out of that madness, that nightmare. Trees and grass flew by in the pitch black of night. A thick stench of sickness and burnt hair encircled everything, eliciting convulsive retching as he ran. At last, he knew where he was. He had his bearing and it was one he hoped he would never possess again. The church loomed tall and twisted before him. Something hurtled through the trees behind, and in a moment it would be upon him. At least he knew which direction to go, running as he did to the side, towards the path which he had ascended earlier in the day. A worn track which would lead him to safety. But the land appeared unfamiliar and unnatural. The very shape and construction of his environment seemed to have bent to an unknown and malevolent mind. He had to continue on, to get away from what pursued him. The path must have been in that direction. Then, finally, he broke through a line of bushes and trees into a clearing. His heart sank to depths he did not know. There stood the church once more, but it appeared different somehow. 
By night, the building seemed to possess a more sinister and bizarrely altered form from its daytime persona. For a moment, John imagined its steeple not to be of rock, stone, or concrete, but of vine and earth and wood, spiraling towards a heaven which had long since spatted out at the world. The rustle of trodden leaves approached once more as he stumbled and gasped for air. The pain from his wound was now almost unbearable, each step forward accompanied by an internal, blinding, tearing sensation. Forced to flee across the faiths of the church by his stalker, John moved as best he could, staggering and limping, weak and exhausted, entering a thick network of brambles and thorns. His clothes caught as the barbed appendages of the plants scratched at his arms and face. It was no use. He could not outrun what was coming. Looking over his shoulder, someone was clearly ripping through the branches only a few feet behind. Fear coursed through John's veins as his stalker now bore down on him. Letting out a cry of pain and anguish, the thing amongst the branches seemed to stop for a moment, observing him struggle, his hands cut and grazed by thorns. John pulled and grabbed at the thicket in front, trying to escape, and then, to chill his bones once, the figure behind stared, letting out a harrowing groan, somewhere between a laugh and a sigh of satisfaction. It began moving at great speed, breaking through the entangled cage of thorns and branches with ease, closing in quickly. With a scream of pain and disbelief, John finally broke free of the thorns' embrace, but despair haunted him. There, the church stood once more, almost mocking, twisted and warped in ways no human architect could conceive. Staggering with the little fight left, he moved past the church once more, as his assailant broke through the tree line rushing towards him. John increased his pace as best he could, but by now he could muster little speed. The heavens now opened and swathes of liquid poured over the church, flowing to the ground beneath, which quickly became sodden and waterlogged. John's strength diminished as he fell to his knees, admitting defeat as a hunted animal relents at the end. Then, salvation. From far away shone a light, one which beamed and broke through the almost impenetrable surrounding thickets. Something to hold on to, to hope. An anchor to follow, a light from outside that terrible hill. As the sound of his pursuer neared, scrambling across the grass in darkness, one last surge of energy awoke John from his terrible fate. The sight of light and life reignited what small vestige of hope remained. He screamed in agony as he lifted himself to his feet. The rain now lashing down upon him, drenched to the bone, pouring into the hole in his side, but it did not matter. All that mattered was that light, and the safety which it promised. Limping as quickly as he could in its direction, he thrust himself into the vines and branches of the entangled woodland, fear overriding any pain brought about as thorns scratched and cut his skin. Yet he was making progress, and the light began to loom larger and larger, vibrant and sustaining. It was clear now that he was heading downhill, and, as the momentum of his trajectory caused stumble and fall after fall, it also increased his speed markedly. Flashes of memories not his own once again invaded his mind. Thoughts of anger and hatred filled his vision. Images of the church never empty, yet absent of the living. As the priest reared his hands, so bowed the congregation's heads. Confusion was beginning to steep into him again. The smell of burnt hair once more filled the world around. Though cumbersome, his stalker could be heard increasing pace, yet it seemed more agitated than before. Angered, perhaps even frustrated. John felt sick with panic, the blood now pouring from the wound in his side unimpeded. 
Just as the light seemed closest, the promise of redemption, safety, and escape loomed near. He flew down a steep incline of grass, slipping in the wet mud, and tumbled at speed to the ground. Pain, exhaustion, and hopelessness ruled supreme as his body, already battered and bruised, came to rest on top of a large fallen tree trunk. The clamoring footsteps grew near, and as they did, so John thought to himself that he, and that which he laid upon, had both been victims of a cruel and hidden evil which called that hillside home. Come on, son, get up, get up. A voice yelled in the darkness, almost drowned out by the now fever and breaking of ground and grass behind. The world seemed warped, but as consciousness, now prepared to wither once more from his mind, clarity returned, and John realized where he was. His body was slumped not against a fallen tree, but against the wooden gate which marked the boundary of that terrible place. Something was close, the thing which had been hounding him in the dark only a few feet away. Move, it's nearly upon you, cried the now familiar voice of Dale. With one last movement, with the final piece of life left in him, John Radcliffe opened the gate, falling face down into a puddle by the roadside.